Friends, would you open with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1? We're going to be looking at one, one of the greatest, densest, most beautiful sections in all of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Hear now God's word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which with, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I read from Psalm 19.7 this morning, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. With respect to how the Trinity makes us holy and how we are united in Christ, we are a room full of very simple people with a very small understanding. Would your testimony make us wise? Would you put these things in our hearts? Would we believe them? Would we know them? Would we live them? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, we say a creed every single week, right? We either say the Apostles' Creed or we say the Nicene Creed. It's part of our liturgy. It's part of our worship. It's part of our practice to affirm exactly what it is that we profess faith in. And I would contend that the hardest line to say with any confidence in the Nicene or the Apostles' Creed is not that God makes the heavens and the earth, although that is very controversial to say. It's not that Jesus was conceived, that he lived, that he died, that he was resurrected, although when we say that, that certainly raises some eyebrows among people. It's not even that the Holy Spirit is the invisible presence of God who lives inside of us, although that does feel surreal. The hardest line in the Apostles or the Nicene Creed to say with any confidence is this. I believe in a holy church. I believe in a sinless, spotless, sanctified church. That's really, really hard to say because it flies in the face of the number one complaint that we hear about the church, and that is that she is full of hypocrites, people who say one thing and they do another, and we would agree. 
As one pastor said, with the exception of the prison system, the church is the only institution for bad people. We get that. We're hypocrites. We don't do these things. And so every single Sunday, when it comes to the time to say the creed, we want to pull a Colin Kaepernick and kneel during that line. We'll stand when the church gets serious about her holiness, and we can say it with full confidence. Ephesians 1 is going to challenge our resistance. Ephesians 1 is going to uphold the creeds by speaking of a holy church. Ephesians 1, without winking, without crossed fingers, without a hint of sarcasm, is going to look at the church with all her hypocrisy, with all her lies, with all her lusts, with all her greed, with all her apathy, and declare her the very sinless, spotless perfection of God. That's the agenda in the prayer in Ephesians 1. And so I want us to take a closer look at this marvelous passage this morning. I read verses 3 through 14, and in the Greek, this is actually one long run-on sentence. Once Paul starts talking about the holiness that the Trinity brings to the church, he can't stop himself. He blurts out 202 words, almost an entire blog post without a single period. There's no agreed-upon organization here, but for our purposes, I want us to see very simply how each member of the Trinity works for the holiness of the church. How the Father does, how the Spirit does, how the Son does. They work to defend, uphold, produce the holiness that we profess in this church body. Let's start with the holiness that comes from our Heavenly Father, which we see in verses 3 through 6. Verse 4, God shows us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. Verse 5, God predestined us for adoption. Church, your Heavenly Father can think of no better way to convince you of your status as holy than to pull back the curtain of time from before the world began and to show you that this has always, for all time, been the very plan of God. Now that surprises us because that doesn't match with our experience to hear about God's plan from before all time. I think you and I naturally think of our journey for holiness as beginning at our conversion, right? That's when we first trusted in Christ. That's when we first believed. That's when his Holy Spirit filled us. That's when the Spirit began to give us new desires. We wanted to leave what was bad and we wanted to work towards what was good. That felt like a new thing. And really that felt like the moment that our journey towards holiness began. I've shared my testimony with many of you. I was saved at the age of 18 out of a lifestyle of drugs and anger and lies. And I remember the Holy Spirit being so sweet and so simple to me in those days. He said to me, when you're restless, don't smoke weed, don't do ecstasy, find your rest in me. When you're angry, don't punch people in the face. 
Find your refuge in me. When you feel vulnerable, don't lie. Find your security in me. And those early days when I was 18, that felt like the the rocky start to this journey of what was supposed to be my so-called holiness. And honestly, it's been a really disappointing journey at best because I am still restless and angry and deceitful. I've just now found Christianized ways to do those things so that nobody raises an eyebrow in the church. I've had a fear my entire Christian life that if God could have possibly known how disappointing my journey towards holiness had actually become, he wouldn't have saved me in the beginning. He would have passed over me and he would have found somebody who was more deserving, who would take holiness seriously. That fear, if you share it with me, runs against everything God has in store in the lection. God does not choose people that he hopes will turn out holy and blameless. He chooses people to declare them holy and blameless. God doesn't choose people hedging his bets, hoping that they will turn out holy and blameless. Oh, please, oh, please, I've put so much into this. I just hope that this person will be a holy and a blameless person, a true representative of who I am and what my son Jesus has done. He doesn't choose us to hope for those things. He chooses to declare us holy and blameless, and that makes an infinite difference. One holy church has existed in God's plan before the foundations of the world. And to believe that our bad week, that our fumbles, that our fears, that our apathy knocks that plan off the tracks is to give ourselves way too much credit in the economy of God. God has planned for the holiness of the church and that will not be thwarted by anything, not you or not me. That's the holiness that comes from the Father. I want us to look at the end of the passage and see the holiness that comes from the Holy Spirit. This happens in verses 13 and 14. When we were converted, the Bible says, We were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to the Christian skeptic. God is telling us something that's hard to believe. He's telling us that you have been chosen before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless, and our reaction, we can't help ourselves but to say, that sounds a little far-fetched. That sounds a little too good to be true. To know that I was in the mind of God before the world was created, that he had loved me in a way that predates creation, that sounds a little hard to believe. So God says to us in Ephesians 1, I'll prove it to you. I give you my Holy Spirit as what my ESV Bible translates, a guarantee. A guarantee in first century Roman world where Paul was writing this is a down payment. The Holy Spirit is a down payment. When you and I go to buy a house, we give a down payment. And that's our way of saying to the bank, we're good for the money. We absolutely plan and intend on coming up with the rest of it later. 
And that makes the Holy Spirit's role truly incredible. God could have said to the Christian skeptic who doubts that this is his plan that won't be thwarted, you need to believe this because I said it's true. And if I say it's true, it's true. God could have told us that. That's what our moms tell us all the time. God could have said the same thing to us. But he doesn't. He says, what I'm telling you is really, really hard to believe. It's hard for you to believe that I love you. It's hard for you to believe that I've chosen you, that I've adopted you, that you're made holy, that your entire life is this journey of moving towards a glorious reunion with me in the new heavens and the new earth, that you will have an inheritance beyond your wildest dreams. Those things are hard for you to believe. And so as an act of good faith, I put a down payment on that promise. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. He's going to live inside of you to affirm that this is true. Consider him as a pledge. Consider him as a first installment of the good things to come. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of you today. That's his activity in you today. If you hear a voice that's contrary to that, it is not from God. If you hear a voice, which I know you hear because I hear, that says something contrary to that, it doubts that, it fears that, it has apathy about that, it doesn't know if that could entirely be true for me as a Christian, if you hear that voice, it is coming from somewhere else. I don't know if that's the devil, I don't know if that's yourself. I don't know if that's what you had for lunch today. I don't know if it's your Enneagram number. I don't know where that voice is coming from. But on the authority of Ephesians 1 and Romans 5, I tell you, this is not the way that God speaks to you. His chief message in your heart is to affirm that these things are true, that you are God's, and that you are in Christ. That's the message that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And if we hear a different message, we need to grab a friend and say, I'm hearing something else. There's some other voice that's rattling around in my head, and I need you as a friend to affirm to me that that's not at all how God speaks to me. His Holy Spirit has a different message in my heart. That's the holiness that comes from the Father. It predates creation. It is at work before the foundations of the world. And then he seals it in his spirit so that we know that it will be fulfilled for all time. And the Father and the Spirit, they kind of act as bookends of this section which places the Son at the center. He's not greater than the other members of the Trinity. Of course, he's co-equal with the members of the Trinity, but in Ephesians 1, it is made to make Jesus shine. Ephesians 1 wants to make the holiness that comes through Jesus shine for us as believers. In the first 14 verses of Ephesians, Jesus is mentioned 15 times. And there's something very specific about Jesus that Paul prays again and again and again that we as believers will grasp and understand. Lord God, let the church understand this. Let them understand this about your son. Let this be their waking thought. Let this be their highest treasure. Let this be their joy. I pray and I plead with you that the church will understand this about Jesus. 
And that thing is this, that you and I are united to Christ. You and I are joined together with God's Son, Jesus. Paul tells us this very plainly in Colossians 3.3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You and I have become one with Jesus. His life is our life. His status is our status. His righteousness is our righteousness. His holiness is our holiness. His blamelessness is our blamelessness. God has accomplished all the things that he has in store for us as believers in and through his son by uniting us to him and making us one with his son, Jesus. That means 11 times in 12 verses, we see the phrase, in him. In him, in him, in him. Verse 3, God has blessed us in Christ. Verse 4, God shows us in him. Verse 5, God adopted us in Jesus Christ. Verse 6, God has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 7, in him we have redemption. Verse 11, in him we have an inheritance. Verse 13, in him we first heard and believed and so on and so on. 11 times in 12 verses, you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Christian, you are indistinguishable from Christ. You are inseparable from Christ. You are indivisible from Christ. There is no longer any you without the person and the glory and the spotless blamelessness of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're in him and he is in you and you are God's. If we were to say that the church is not holy... We simply mean that experientially in the sense that every single member in this room sins daily, hourly, minute by minute. We fall short of the glory of God. Sometimes in small ways, sometimes in awful, egregious ways. But Ephesians 1 is a prayer that pleads with us to take our eyes off our navels and our souls and upwards to look to God who has taken every sin past, present, and future, the very sins that we plan to do this afternoon or we will find ourselves stumbling when once again and he has placed it on his son Jesus on the cross and that was decided by your father before the foundations of the world, before you were even in the room this plan was made on your behalf. And to prove it to you, he has placed his Holy Spirit inside of you as a guarantee that this will come to pass. And now the holiness of the church, the holiness that we profess week after week, that we are the sinless, spotless perfection of God, it is as sure as the steadfastness of Christ Because we are in Christ, and Christ is in us, and it is all to the praise of his glorious grace. Let's pray together.
God, I think a lot about my conversion. I think a lot about praying a prayer of salvation to know you. I think a lot about my path for holiness and the failures that it is riddled with. And I feature too prominently in my salvation. Ephesians 1 has beautiful things to say about the Father and the Spirit and the Son in my conversion and my guarantee for everlasting life. And I feature so small in those paragraphs. The greatest thing about me and us as this church is that we are now found in Christ and he is our righteousness. Let that be our joy and our song we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.